Welcome to Go and Make from the Archdiocese of St. Louis, equipping you to live the great commission of Jesus Christ to go and make disciples of all nations. And welcome back to Go and Make. We are really excited to be joined today by Michael Hall. Michael works for CCO Canada, which is Catholic Christian Outreach Canada. So, Michael, why don't you just tell us a little bit about what CCO is, what they do, and what your role is there? Sure. Um, yeah, so CCO, the easiest analogy is we are kind of like the brother to focus, essentially. So we work with university students on uh, 17 campuses across Canada, which may not seem huge, but that is actually quite a few of our Canadian campuses. And uh, yeah, our, our goal is to bring university students into a relationship with Jesus and then to be able to send them out on mission, to be able to be missionary disciples for the renewal of the world. That's um, in our mission statement. It says that basically we're, we're there to build leaders for the renewal of the world. So that's the goal is to send out young men and women who are going to be ready to be those leaders that we need to be able to grow the church um, for generations to come and to go and reach others to do that. And how long have you been with CCO? This is my 20th year. Just actually. 20? Just finished is that my all? 20. I know, just, <laughs> just 20. I missed 15 of the years, you know, mm. so they're 35 years in as a movement. Okay. But uh, yeah, I've been done Great. 20. And what are you doing for them now? So uh, my, my normal job is I'm uh, the senior content development specialist, which means basically my job is to, to write down a lot of the things that we've been learning and, and thinking about our methods, our materials, um, getting them all clearly outlined and articulated so that... Uh, it's both for our own purposes internally, but then also to be able to share them out as a blessing to the church. Uh, so I end up doing a lot of writing, researching, reading, speaking, teaching, all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. yeah. But you served on campus too, right? I served four years as a campus missionary, uh, both at uh, Simon Fraser University in Vancouver and then uh, University of Ottawa in Ottawa. Nice. That sounds great. And we first crossed paths in the Augusta Institute in uh, Denver. We were taking an intensive course, The Challenge of Secularism, which uh, was an intense course. It was yes, intensive. It was. Literally, it was five days of class, <laughs> eight hours a day. And uh, It would have been intense if it was over just the whole semester yeah, every day. It was day. a lot. Yeah, it, it was, was really good and beautiful. And I just get to know you that week yeah. and, and talking throughout the week. Could tell that like we we're on the same page, right? That's you know, right, obviously yeah. CCO and, and Focus. I was a Focus missionary for four years, so they share a lot of the same heart and and sometimes the same language even yep. too. Um, so to kind of hear that coming out in class and conversations after class and stuff, and then so just kind of following your work with CCO and what they do. Um, you guys have phenomenal resources, so the Discovery series and and the different Bible studies that CCO has published are. Really, really good if people are looking for a good Bible study for parishes. I mean, they work well on campus, but they work well really everywhere. Yeah, they're, they're, we've actually worked to remove some of the that were campus specific. The, yeah, yeah, the more campus specific analogies and that sort of thing. We actually tried to remove a bunch of those and make them a little more generic so that they were um, more easily usable anywhere. So, yeah, they're being used uh, in parishes across Canada, the US, the UK. Um, yeah quite a bit now. A great little booklet called The Ultimate Relationship, right? Which I know we've used here in the Archdiocese some too. It's really a, a pocket-sized booklet of what is the core gospel message, the yes. charisma, right? And it really kind of helps people analyze what that might be, right? Absolutely. And it's so easy then to be able to, to share that with somebody. If you get in a conversation and you're trying to figure out how am I going to share the charisma with them, I can just pull out the little booklet. And if you just follow it along, you're going to share the charisma and at the end you're going to offer them an opportunity to be able to pray and say, yes, I'd like to become a disciple of Jesus. So it kind of keeps you on task that way. And then you can hand it to them and then they can you read know, it again. You don't have to keep it, right? Give that's it away. Right. It's not yours unless you yeah, really you give it away. You should be giving yeah, it away. That's, yeah, that's, if you've got a stack at home, that's not what we want. Literally yeah. the idea. 
And then a few years ago, and this is what brings you to St. Louis uh, right now too, you published a book called Intentional Accompaniment, Intentional Accompaniment, An Apprenticeship for a New Generation of Builders. And I saw it, I saw the title and I thought, oh, good, like we are uh, talking a lot about this in the church right now. So really, where does this idea, the term maybe accompaniment come from? Why is that a word that we're, we're using in the church right now? Yeah, well, I mean, Pope Francis is the one that really popularized it, um, looking in, in Evangelii Gaudium, uh, paragraph 169, where he talks about that we need to initiate everyone into the art of accompaniment. And he specifically says, you know, um, clergy, religious, and laity. Like th- This is something... Checking all the boxes. Exactly. Yeah, Just right. in case you didn't think you were part of everyone. It's like he says, like, all the baptized, and he hammers that again and again a few different points in that document, right? That's right. Talking to you. Yeah. yeah. Just to make sure you understand, this is for you. Um, and so he says that we, we need to all be initiated into this art of accompaniment. And it's this idea of of having a spiritual closeness with people, of walking alongside them. Um, but then in the next paragraph, he talks about that if it's if it's aimless, then it's not what we're trying to do. Like It should always be focused on bringing people into a deeper relationship with God. And so that's where, um, for us in CCO, as we were sitting down, we were actually just trying to work out the model of what we'd always been doing and trying to get it down on paper. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so as we were doing that and we were, we'd, uh, our, our founder, well, one of our co-founders, Andre had come across the word accompaniment recently at that point. Um, and so he said, I think this is the right term to be used. So we were trying to think about how to do it. And we said, but we, you know, one of the things that I think defines at least the way that we were trying to live out accompaniment was that intentionality of knowing that there's a, there's a place I want to take people, um, which is towards Jesus. And, I can't take them and make them go there, but I can walk alongside them and point them in the right direction. So it's this idea there of like, we're, we're trying to help people walk towards that initial conversion where they say yes to being a disciple of Jesus. And then from there walking towards becoming missionary disciples who are going to engage in both growing in holiness and also the mission of the church. And I think if there's like some of the critique around the idea of accompaniment that happens sometimes, and again, like, God, you know, the internet's not a polarizing place at all, right? <laughs> no, we never no, have problems with these not. things. But but sometimes the critique can be that it's accompanying people to what yeah. or to where. And I think that what you do in the book really well is you lay out the idea of conversion. And you lay out the mm-hmm. idea that that evangelization is about it's about conversion, it's about becoming new creations in Christ. And I think that um it, it doesn't have to be a road to nowhere, right? That's right. Yeah. Well, that's it. you you don't wanna be walking with people towards a cliff and then watch them fall off and be like, well, I was close to them. That's right. I, I accompanied them right it, it, to the end. Yeah. yeah. So I was there, but it didn't really do any good. You know, it, it needs to be going somewhere. And, and first and foremost, we need people who are saying, yes, I want to be a disciple of Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to turn my whole life over to him. And, but that's going to start somewhere. And uh, I love Pope John Paul II, who we quote in the book, just talks about that in Redemptor's Missio, where he says that conversion means it, accepting by a personal decision, the saving sovereignty of Christ and becoming his disciple. So that element of we want to lead people towards that personal decision, which might be somebody who's been far off and they've never really heard about this, but it might also be the person who's been in the pews, but never has been given the opportunity to personally say yes. They maybe just didn't realize that was actually part of what they're being invited into. So we want to make that explicit, uh, that, that that's what we're trying to accompany people towards. And then from there, now it's time to, for you to go out. Yeah. Evangelization isn't about just, I mean, we need to come alongside people wherever they are, but it's not, we can't leave them there. That's right. I love this idea uh, of conversion. 
you know, Jesus preached to repent and believe. And that's like really scary for people, right? Yeah. But Jeff Cavins was here for our men's conference a couple of years ago. And he said, well, you know, repentance, repent and believe, that's, that's intimidating. But if you look at what the catechism says about that, it says that this idea to repent and believe that conversion, it's a radical reorientation of our life towards mm-hmm. Christ. Yeah. And I love that. And, you know, in the book and and in the gospel, they talk about like the road to Emmaus, you know, Mm -hmm. that Jesus comes alongside two people and he literally walks with them in the wrong direction for a while. This is the day of the resurrection. That's right. And and they're walking away from Jerusalem where all the action is and, and they probably shouldn't be leaving, right? But he walks with them and he doesn't start by telling them they're going the wrong way. He asks them questions. Mm-hmm. And I love that that idea in the in your book and really in the church and from St. Paul and, and from great evangelists always, it's about it's about asking other people questions and finding out what's burning within their own hearts. People don't want to just hear us talk, right? They don't I want to. I mean, we us, are on this this podcast I mean, just talking here. at people right now, maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> you know, but like as a church, they don't want to just hear us talk at them and tell them all the things that we know and all the things that we think that they should be doing with their lives. They, 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 people are, are, are thinking about things. They're, they're wrestling with things. So the more we can ask good questions, the more we can actually get to the heart of what's going on in their lives. And, and, and the question I'm often asking is, you know, Holy Spirit, what are you up to in this person's life and how do you want me to help? Well, I'm going to find that out by asking questions. So the more questions we ask rather than answer, it's not that we don't answer questions. People need, you know, if they have real questions. They, they, of course, need answers at some point. But the more we can be asking them questions to try and get a better sense of what what's going on in their mind and in their heart, the better we can actually accompany them and be able to tailor the way that we share the gospel with them to what actually matters to them and to the, maybe the questions or the, the problems that they're really wrestling with. And we have the best answers right? in the church. Like we we do. Have, the catechism is amazing. We have all these thousands of years of church history and magisterium. Like for whatever question has been asked, St. Thomas has an answer. You That's know, it right. might not be easy to understand right away, but you know, it, it's, it's all there. And uh, we have to get people to ask the right questions. And I think that's not always what we're good at as mm-hmm. evangelists. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think the, the skill of, of, and not just asking the first question, but asking the follow-up question after that. And caring about the answer. And caring about the answer. You have to care about the person you're talking to. Yeah. They're not just a target. You know, they're actually a person that you should be trying to develop a relationship with. Yeah. Authentic friendship is not about use, right? And again, that's we're getting right. into our good Aristotelian definitions yeah. of, of friendship and what that is. But to really will the good of another, to really love them. It's not about getting them to where we want them because we want them to be part of our club. We want to grow our club of the church or, or sometimes we evangelize out of fear. Mm-hmm. Like I'm going to go evangelize because I want my school to not close or I don't want my parish to close <laughs> yeah. because our mass attendance is low and I don't want to lose what I know and what I love. But to will their good is to will for them to be with the Lord forever in heaven. Mm-hmm. And that there are eternal ramifications for our lives here on earth. And we want to help people answer those questions too. And I look at, at St. Paul with, uh, you see this in first Thessalonians chapter two, where he talks about that, that, you know, not only did he want to share the gospel with people, but he wanted to share his very lives because they'd be uh, with them because they had become so beloved to him. And that to me just speaks to the depth of relationship that he had formed with the people in that church. And the, his, his motivation for sharing the gospel then wasn't just because he needed to spread a message and needed to grow a church, but it was, he was, forming these deep, deep connections with people. He cared so much about them that he couldn't help but share the gospel then, but also sharing his whole life with them. And that's ultimately where accompaniment is trying to lead us, is that when we're evangelizing, we are meant to form relationships with people and that the evangelization happens in the context of relationship. 
Okay, but uh, here's an objection. You ready? Yep. ready. People are a mess. That I, is true. I myself yep. am a mess. Yeah, you me know, too. I, I don't like to admit that a lot of times. It's <laughs> kind of hard, but I'm a mess, and people yeah. are a mess. And sometimes when we accompany people, we have to go into their mess. That's right. And there's all kinds of questions in the church about how far do we go or, or what does it look like institutionally, but also individually. So mm-hmm. how do you deal with that tension of trying to walk with someone who maybe is living a very sinful life or publicly sinful or just in, in the own chaos of family life and day-to-day life, and all the issues going on in the world? What do you, how do you deal with that? Well, I think to me, the first thing we're trying to build is just trust with people. That w- and, and part of how we're going to do that is that we got to have to listen to their stories. And I think if we're actually going out to the periphery and actually reaching people who don't know Jesus, then we should be encountering things that kind of shock us and things that we don't agree with, because that means we're actually going outside of our our bubble in the church, essentially, and getting out there and getting messy with the people. And Pope Francis talks about this a lot, that it's it's good for us to go and take on the smell of the sheep and to go out there and to, to get a little bit messy so that we don't become insular. And we just turn inwards and, and all we ever do is things that happen inside the church. So we go out and we build relationships with people by listening to their stories, but doing that in a non-judgmental way, which doesn't mean you're approving of everything that they're, they're saying or they're thinking or they're doing, but knowing there's going to be a time and a place as this person draws closer to Christ to be able to begin to introduce some of the different teachings that will maybe correct the ways that they think or that they act but probably not at the very beginning is the time to do that because here I'm just trying to build relationship. I need you to see that I actually care for you, that, that you can trust me uh, because I actually have your best interests in mind. And then as that, that relationship develops, now you can start to kind of dig into some of those things. Um, and yeah, the time and the place will come to be able to, to offer that moral correction, but and, that's not the And while you're start. doing it, you're modeling what living the faith looks like. So you yeah. might go into the mess, but you're not going to partake of the mess in the same way that they are that's while they're right. there, right? Yeah. You actually shared uh, earlier at our workshop, you shared a story about uh, helping someone ask that question of their own conscience kind of being being pricked by your accompaniment. Can you kind of maybe share that a little bit? Yeah. So I, sometimes what the Lord will do is that he's going to as we're walking with somebody, he's going to prepare us for conversations he needs us to have. And so in this particular case, uh, I was walking with a young man, and as many young people do, he was living with his girlfriend at the time. And, uh, and I felt the Lord kind of just pricking me in prayer and saying, hey, you're going to have to talk to him about this, which I did not want to do in right. any way. Really, really comfortable. Hey, yeah, uh, yeah, not going yeah, to be awkward at all. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, but it wasn't long after that, that he actually came to me and said, Hey, I have a question for you. I've been thinking about this living situation. I don't know that it's necessarily the best thing for me to be still living with my girlfriend. What do you think? And for one, I was just like, Oh, thank goodness. I don't have to bring this up. Um, but it was, it was because we had been walking together for a long time at that point. And we had, we had grown in, in trust, both in just in our, our friendship, but also in faith. Uh, and he was really starting to explore his faith and, so it, those, the spirit was doing something in him, and I had to be there and ready to be able to respond to that. Um, and just, yeah, the, the spirit's going to be doing things in people. Like if, if, we, if we believe that the spirit is the one who's moving people's hearts, and if someone is moving closer to him, then we also are going to see that the spirit's going to start offering those gentle corrections or those redirections and saying, hey, this might need to change. So us being ready to, to receive those people when, when it's time to have that conversation the only way they're going to come to us is if they actually do trust us and they do sense that we have their best interests in mind. 
Well, and you, you talk about the role of the Holy Spirit there. You had been praying for that conversation to happen. That's right. And the Lord had put on your heart to pray for it even more, too. Yes. And then he also provided the opportunity. So really, I mean, this idea of intentional accompaniment, it's about radical availability to the Holy Spirit. Yes. Right? I mean, right? And Absolutely. Just, the more we become aware of the opportunities to evangelize, the more we're going to take them. So, yes. you know, I always, you know, I love this idea of like an evangelizer's examine. Like at the mm-hmm. end of the day, like... Uh, it's like a resource I'm I'm working on. It's not quite finished yet or ready yeah. yet. But it's like, you know, when we go to bed, we want to pray our own examination of conscience for our own day. But also to do it with the heart of a missionary to say, Lord, where did I fail to speak your name today? Mm-hmm. Where did I fail to witness your love today? Lord, where where in my life am I not giving the full witness that you're calling me to? And it's going to have that. But if you don't realize you're missing opportunities, you're not aware of what the Holy Spirit is asking of you and trying to do in your own life. Well, and that's where your prayer life is so critical yeah. then as, a, as in any mission. Like, we have to be filled with the Holy Spirit and we have to know his voice. And that only comes through the regular practice of prayer, regularly consulting with him, regularly coming to him and begging him for his help, both in my own life, in my own mess, but also in the mission that I've been called into. And it's not only like in tongues, like the, the voice of the Holy That's Spirit right, isn't yeah. always in another language. Like he speaks the, the language of our heart. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. The way he sounds. And that's why I'd say like, you have to learn what his voice sounds like in your life, because it might be different than the way somebody else hears him, but he is going to speak to you. And in a way that you're going to be able to, to receive, in fact, receive best. So it just takes a little bit of getting to know his voice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and if you're not hearing the Holy Spirit speak into your life, then don't expect the Holy Spirit to tell you how to speak into someone else's life. That's too, right. right? Yeah. yeah. And and he can do all these amazing, amazing things in spite of us. And he might still use you in, in your mission in spite of your lack of attentiveness to him and that sort of thing. Um, but that's not the ideal then. The ideal should be, uh, you know, so it's like not to discount like, oh, because I didn't pray, nothing good could possibly happen. No, actually, he's bigger than that. But that's not the ideal. <laughs> we shouldn't rely on that. Like, it's fine. He'll make up where I'm lacking. Like, no, like dig, dig into that and go deeper with him in prayer, um, but also know that he's good and he's merciful and he's still going to accomplish his goals, uh, sometimes in spite of us. Yeah, which is a great transition. One of the things I wanted to talk about in the book, you talk about uh, kind of this paradigm of people, programs, and paraclete, right? Yes. So everything's better when there's alliteration. Absolutely. It's easier to remember, at least. Yeah. Um, can you maybe share a little bit about where that came from and, and what that means in our own ministry? Yeah, we'll I have to give the shout out to our other co-founder. I get to shout out both of them, so that's works out well. Um, it's good for your job security exactly, anyway. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's uh, Angèle Renier. And so as I was getting near the end of uh, writing the book, and she just kind of kind of nonchalantly, as Angèle can do, um, just kind of said, here, this is a concept I was thinking about. Maybe you want to consider it for the book. And my first reaction was like, no, I don't want to do another thing in the book. I'm almost done. But, but she was so right. And it's this yeah, beautiful concept of basically that if we're looking to be intentional in our accompaniment, that we should have a combination of, of working with a radical commitment to relationships with individual people, that we're using the great programs that exist out there, and that we're fully reliant on the Holy Spirit, uh, the, the paraclete. So the, the people aspect is that you know, one of our founding tenets in CCO is that we work one person at a time, but our, our mindset is towards having a heart for the entire world. So I'm going to reach the world through one person. Um, and that doesn't mean you only work with one person, but it means that you're, every person you're working with, you, you want to consider as if they're the only one, you know, and you're going to pour yourself into that person. So 
we have to look at the people we're working at and say, not just look at like how many people show up to a group, but look at the individuals in that group. So if you're leading a, a small group Bible study, for example, and they've got four people in there, you know, often the question that if you had somebody coaching you, for example, on how to do that, they might ask you, well, how did it go last week? You might say, oh, the group really seemed to get it or the group didn't seem to get it. Or, but the, the answer is mainly focused on how the group responded. And just taking it to that, just that one layer deeper, just to say, okay, but what about Jim? How did Jim respond? You know, or how did Sally respond to this? And being able to, to dig that, that little, that just that one step deeper, because it takes it away from just being about a group, but actually how are the individuals in that group responding to this study? And that can be paradigm shifting as you're, as you're leading a group. But then you can expand that out to, you know, running a huge conference or your parish or that you're always trying to look at not just the numbers. The numbers are important. We need people to actually be there. You're doing the right things or else they're not going to show up. That's right. right. Yeah. But you need to then look at like, what, what's the stories? Like who are, who are, who makes up the hundred people that showed up to your parish event on a Friday night? Who are those hundred people? And what were some of the stories of what actually happened in that night? And who's, who are, who are the people that from the parish who are connecting with those people to make sure that we can support them in their growth? It's, it's that sort of attitude that really drives that radical commitment to the individual relationship. But then you've got the programs because you want to be committed to these, but we want to be able to proclaim the gospel and do it in a very clear and simple way. We want to make sure we do this effectively. And that we were, we're in this great time of so many resources. The best. Right? Like we have oh, access damn. to so much. Like, and it's, well, you said it earlier today, you're like, it's all right here in my phone. I've got access to the Bible. I've got access to the catechism. I got Father Mike. I've got all Bishop Barron. It's all just sitting right here on everything my phone. Everything the church has pretty much ever written is in my pocket. Pretty much. Yeah. Right? So we have access to everything. And people who have done these, this amazing work in trying to, to, to synthesize it and say it in, in ways that are, that are effective. Right, yeah. Accessible. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I think of like, you know, Jeff Cavins with the Greater Venture Bible Timeline, like, all of a sudden now the entire story of salvation history becomes accessible. So we have all these resources at our, our fingertips, but we can't just hit play and expect, you know, Bishop Barron to figure out everything for us. Does amazing stuff or Jeff Cavins to figure it all out for us because I hit play and I got a few people in a room and now they watch a video. Like we want to use these programs as vehicles for relationship. So I am leading this small group, not to just teach content, but actually to reach individuals and to, to accompany each person through this program. And you could do that with any program you want to run, you know, whether it's, you know, like we've created our faith study series, which is designed for that, but you can do that with Alpha, you can do that with a video series, whatever it is, take these great resources that are out there. There's no need to reinvent the wheel. And then at the same time, don't just expect that that's a silver bullet, that I can just right. put a program out there and expect it'll do the work There's for no me. There's no DVD you can pop in and out pops a disciple. Are right? we allowed to do DVDs anymore? I'm oh, not well, sure. It might like, be YouTube yeah, you okay, know, yeah. or whatever it might be. But yeah, I mean, I think I think it's really important you have that in there, the programs piece, because I think programs get a bad rap sometimes. They do, yeah. And the program so often is the excuse. So if you don't have a program that's going to make someone at least interested, you're not going to have the opportunity or the excuse to be in relationship with them yeah. too. So like... And, and we'll get to the thresholds of conversion a little bit here too and part of the, the paradigm. But but if someone's like spiritually curious and you have a program that answers the questions that they have and they're, uh, of their curiosity, they might say yes to it, but the answers maybe just by themselves aren't going to be enough to spark conversion, but your witness and your relationship and your accompaniment might be that next thing. So the programs, you know, what's going to get them to walk in the door so we can have the trust, so we can really walk with people to be... Just, just in relationship. You know, I think parishes are a really hard place to do ministry sometimes. 
Um, and parishes are all over the place, and, and uh, you know, they're just trying to do everything sometimes. But parishes are really, uh, I think John Paul II talked about it as a community of communities, mm-hmm. like all these little family groups that exist within a parish and the opportunities. When my kids are playing CYC sports or playing volleyball and soccer together, I am with those parents on the sideline, not only every Saturday of the fall. I'm with those parents every Saturday for eight years that my kid is in grade yeah, school and playing soccer. That's right. And I can form those deep relationships uh, and if I don't have the heart of an evangelist, I'm just going to let them stay surface level. We're going to talk about the latest going on and, you know, the Cardinals or whatever's going on in sports or the world or politics or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we don't want to talk about politics probably, but <laughs> we can keep it surface level. But if I have the heart of a missionary, I'm going to learn to love them differently. I'm going to try to lead them differently and walk with them in that relationship. That's right. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, often people throw out the term like people over programs and I, I don't like it because no, there's it, no, that's a false dichotomy. Yeah, I think right. it's people through programs. Yeah. You know, like we got to use these great programs that are there so that we can make those connections. And then that's going to facilitate those relationships and be able to, to, to keep us focused. I think that's one of the things that's hard is that maybe we, maybe we're good at developing relationships with people, but then we don't know what to say. And we, and we feel like we're ill-equipped to be able to do it. And, and, you know, I feel like I've, I know some things, but I, I wouldn't know what, where to say to somebody and how to t- help them move towards conversion. Somebody's thought that through already. Somebody's already created a program that does that, but the program will not do it on its own. You can't just pop it in or, or have them go through a small group or something like that. It's not going to work on its own. Or maybe 5% of the time, somebody will get something. You know, but we can't rely on that. We have to, the, the, the combination is going to be working with those people and, and walking with them through every step of the way and using those programs as part of the vehicle yeah, of how we do We have do the it. best programs already. It's not moving a needle by itself. That's so we right. We have to have people who are skilled in that art of apprenticeship, That's of, right. of intentionally investing in others to do it. I remember there was a, uh, I was a missionary at, at uh, Houston. There was a kid who had been a youth group kid and then came to college and kind of fell away and was, you know, living with his girlfriend. And I was trying to get this kid to come to my Bible study all year long. And he kept telling me no. But what he would say yes to was to hang out and play video games. Right. You know, so he wouldn't come to my program, but I had to have some excuse. And I had this relationship through watching sports and, and playing video games. Well, a couple of weeks left in the school year, his girlfriend breaks up with him. He gets, you know, has to move out of his place or she moved out or whatever it was. And the next week he was in the Bible study in the program because it was it was about patience too, another P word. Right. And just kind of that pursuit. And that the program was there waiting for him, but the relationship was the foundation of it. And in the in the model you talk about, and, and I, I had been paracleting the heck out of that kid. I've been praying for him <laughs> like crazy, right? Um, in the middle of that model is where all three of those come together and kind that's of right. live in tension, you know. And that's why and we, we didn't get to the, the Holy Spirit part there, that it that he is the, the main driver of everything, right? He, he is the principal agent of evangelization. So if we're not reliant on the Holy Spirit and and radically reliant on the Holy Spirit, then we're missing the whole power source of everything we're doing, which is him actually moving hearts because we don't get to change hearts. We don't get to change minds. It's the movement of the Holy Spirit in their lives. that's going to do that. And so the Holy Spirit, and I believe that if we believe that the Holy Spirit is going to speak to us personally in so many other areas of our life, but sometimes we don't believe that he would want to speak to us in mission, but that doesn't make sense to me because he's asking us to go on mission. He's putting these people in our path. And he's working in their lives. So it only makes sense that he wants to let me in on it to, to say, how can I help? And that's often the, the phrase that's used is like, Holy Spirit, what are you up to and how can I help? 
how do you want me to help? Yeah, I think one of the most practical things you can do if you want to evangelize in a company and all these things is to pray to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, who? Yeah. Like, put it on my heart. Yes. Who you want me to reach out to. And we all have, we have like lists and lists of people in our families who have walked away from the faith or aren't practicing or friends or, or whatever it might be. You know, for a lot of people, it's their kids, their own kids, you know. Um, but to pray to the Holy Spirit, it's like, who right now are you calling me to reach out to? And then, okay, rest with that, pray with that, invite the Holy Spirit to continue to work on your heart. And then, and then the next prayer is really dangerous. All right, Holy Spirit, give me the opportunity. Mm-hmm. And when you start to do that, it's unbelievable the doors that get open. I mean, you're giving him a... It's dangerous. Yeah, it's a, you're giving him a blank <laughs> slate saying, use me. He's yeah. going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. So, I mean, if you're out there and you're listening, maybe stop right now, hit pause. Lord, who do you want me to walk with? Lord, give me that opportunity. And I think that's when we really start to see doors get open that we've maybe tried to open ourselves and haven't been open to, mm-hmm. you know. All right, so let's transition now. Um, tell me about this intentional accompaniment model. Um and then let's spend maybe a few minutes, and we have limited time here. Let's talk a little bit about prophetic listening, too, because I think it's really part of a beautiful part of the model. So hit the highlights, and let's talk a little about listening. Okay. So the highlights of the model, uh, the, well, if you look in the book, there's this kind of hourglass-shaped chart that we've drawn. Um, and the basic idea there is that everything in the bottom half, which is the pre-conversion time, Everything there is flowing towards conversion. And then once somebody experiences initial conversion, they now need to grow in holiness and mission to become a missionary disciple. But that flows from their conversion. So conversion is the hinge point. that Everything hinges on that. And so when somebody has not yet said yes to following Jesus, then everything we're doing is trying to move them towards that. And we follow the thresholds that Sherry Waddell outlines in her book, um, you know, of trust, curiosity, openness, seeking then leading ultimately to conversion. And those are great because they just, they're really identifiers that if you don't have, you know, never accept a label in place of a story. That's it's another right. great yep. share with outline, but the labels are also helpful yeah. <laughs> along the way too. Cause if we know if, if someone's not going to step foot on our property, cause they think the church is evil, then we have no trust. That's right. But if they trust us enough to send their kids to a Catholic school or come to a fish fry, then maybe they're ready for the next thing. So it's, it's understanding where people are that helps us understand what they might need in their journey. And I, I like to think of it as, you know, like, if you're at the mall and you got that map that's there and you need to find the you are here yeah, dot right so you can understand what the rest of the mo- the the map means to you so the the point isn't to categorize people you know and like put them into little boxes and say okay well now you're here and so that must mean this in your life but it's to say okay there's a general trajectory that people seem to go on and you seem to be roughly about here and that means that the next step that it would likely be this and the whole goal is Lord, what's the next step I can help this person take so that they come one step closer to you? That's that's the point of all of those thresholds or stages. Like it's all about just helping you understand where a person is in that journey so that you can understand then they probably have something like this that's the next step. So, you know, if it's trust and you're saying, okay, they, they've maybe they've never actually trusted anybody, it's like, okay, well, I gotta focus on just trying to build some trust with this person, which means just be a friend, like create a real relationship with that Play person. Play video games. Yeah. yeah. Whatever, well, no, but that's whatever a, but That's takes, a great yeah. example, right? Yeah. And then once they were ready, because you can't control whether or not that person becomes curious. But once they do, well, the foundation was already there of trust. And now that now you can actually engage with that person in a new way. Um, 
So you have to be ready, you have to be attentive, and it's trying to help you understand, okay, well, if this person is here, then I know the next step isn't to say, uh, oh, will you step in the church? Great, I'm going to uh, write, write to conversion. That's going to be the next step for you. It might be. It'd be nice. But it would be great. <laughs> but the general trajectory is probably, okay, well, let's see what cu- you're curious about. Let's try and see if, that, if you're actually curious about the Lord or not. So all leading towards conversion, yes. and again, radical reorientation of our life towards Christ. So mm-hmm. when we have a conversion, it's not just intellectual, it's not just a one-time thing, but it's our life looks different. Yeah. So what comes next? So now you, well, in the directory for catechesis, it talks about that, that time after the charismatic catechesis, which kind of leads to the conversion. And charisma um, is just a fancy word for core gospel, right? That's right. So you've believed in the, what Jesus says in the gospel. Yes. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Yeah. Yeah. So once they moved into it, they now move into this idea of like an apprenticeship in the Christian life is the way that the directory refers to it. Um, and so in my mind, what that means is that you need to grow in holiness and you need to grow in mission because you're trying to become a missionary disciple. That's the goal. Uh, and so we want to see people growing then in holiness and mission. And the way I, I think about that is that the two of them really should be, they should be complementary. That as we're growing in one, the other one should be kind of pulled along. So... Think about it this way. If you are growing in holiness, then your heart should be more and more a reflection of the Father's heart. And what, is a, what does the Father love? Who, who does the Father love? Well, he loves his people. And particularly, he is, we see this in the first um, section of the catechism, he's trying to draw all people into the family of faith, which is the church. And Jesus tells us, you know, go and make disciples of all nations. So it's, it's pretty clear that what we're to do is to bring all people into relationship with Jesus. So if my heart's becoming more and more like the Father's, then I should be drawn to his people, which means I should be drawn into the mission of evangelization. And then as I do that, I'll realize I don't have a clue what I'm doing. I don't know what to do. I can't move this person. I don't know what to say. Help. So I'm going to be on my knees, and I'm going to be praying. And as I'm praying, I'm going to become more and more a reflection of the Father, and so on and so forth. So to me, there's this complementary relationship where they, they build upon each other. And ultimately, it should lead us. Um, we often share the, the, you know, the prodigal son is such a wonderful parable for so many reasons. But one of the ways that we'll share it with uh, the students that we work with is we say, you know, the father, when he's looking, you know, we know that he sees the son coming back home when he's off at a distance. We well, can only be seeing that if you're looking. So that means he's... A heart so, for the lost. Yeah. yeah. And, and we kind of described it as like, it's like he's sitting on the front porch and just watching the horizon expectantly waiting for his son to come home. So we kind of think of it then as, well, our job is to sit beside him on the front porch and watch for the children coming home. And when the father goes running out to meet the son, as soon as he sees him on the horizon, we go with him. I think, yeah, sometimes in our parishes, in our life, we have this idea of faith formation that becomes like selfish mm-hmm. faith formation in a way. And it's, and it's kind of, I mean, it's not the best description of it. There's probably better ways to say it. But it almost becomes like this little bit of a Protestant ethic of like me and Jesus. Like I, you know, which is funny because sometimes Protestants evangelize better than us Catholics too. Yep. And, but, but there's the idea of, well, it's me and Jesus. I seem to get closer to Jesus and I want to learn this thing about the faith so I can be closer to Jesus. But if it never leads you to mission, then it's just, it's missing something. Absolutely. It's not the fullness. Well, if we believe that the Father's heart is for his people and we're trying to become more and more a reflection of the Father's heart, if we're not drawn into the... To, to the mission to go out to the people, then it begs the question, like, are we actually reflecting the Father's heart in its fullness? And when you understand salvation history, when you reread the Old Testament with that lens, you know, Tim Gray has this great book called Walking with God. You know, it's about 
we used to walk with God in the garden. Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden in the twilight, right? And then we have the, the, the fall. In the whole rest of Old Testament and the New Testament with Jesus, it's, it's coming to reestablish that relationship, walking with God. And he, he goes to Israel first so they can go out and be a light to the nation. So it's like we, there is no just simple closeness to God without also being on mission. Absolutely. It's just impossible. Yeah. It doesn't work. And that's what our whole upper half of our model is all about, is basically that we have to now apprentice people. And so that means hands-on learning with them, both in how to grow in holiness and how to be on mission. And so you're going to not just tell people they should learn how to pray, but pray with them, you know, and show them how. Do Alexio Divina with Which them. Which is different than a workshop, right? Which is definitely, it's, it's sitting down and actually taking a prayer time with them. It's, it's taking them to mass and explaining what's going on as the mass is happening or talking about it over brunch afterwards. It's taking them to confession, not just saying you should go to confession, but going with them to the church and maybe you going to confession too as a, as a model that, yeah, I need this as well. Um, and, and same in evangelization, it's taking people along with you. It's when you're off to, you know, taking a mission opportunity. Uh, we have a, a little model we'll often say to our staff, like never do mission alone. Um, you should always have somebody you're apprenticing coming with you. So you're going to go meet a new student. Work for St. Paul. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah exactly. Right. Yeah. You look at his relationship with Timothy and all these sorts of wonderful characters that we see in his letters that they, they go on mission with him and he's showing them how. And then he has that great line in Second Timothy chapter two, where he says, you know, what you've heard from me through many witnesses, like entrust to faithful people who will be able to teach others as well. And so I, I just kind of envisioned him, you know, looking at Timothy saying, Timothy, you've seen how this works. Now you go. It's your turn. Go and do this now. And if the person you're teaching doesn't understand that they're supposed to teach someone else, then you're not passing along the fullness of what I taught you. That's right. Because it's meant to be handed on. It's got to be both the message and the mission yeah. that has to be handed on. Okay, so we're about out of time here. So if, you know, practically speaking, if if you wanted to help someone in their day-to-day life live this apprenticeship, what are some maybe tips or stuff you could give them as far as something they can very simply do and integrate into their life to become, uh, first of all, in an apprenticeship with someone else and then maybe to go give that to someone else? Yeah. Well, I think... Uh, one of the things I just repeat is don't do mission alone. Like if you have mission opportunities, go and take people with you so that they see it. They see actually see what this looks like. Um, but that requires you to equip those people as well. So you might have to have a bit of forethought and thinking through, okay, I'm going to go and share the gospel with this person, but or, or I'm going to lead this lesson of a, of a, a faith study or something like that. But now equip somebody so that they're ready to go with you so that they are seeing that whole process play out and then even get them to do part of it so that, you know, like an apprentice and, and the, the person who's apprenticing them, they watch them do the work and then you're there with them and apply that out. You can apply that through how you teach them to pray. You can apply that out for how they teach them to, to multiply in, in, in mission. Uh, yeah, I think you can, we can just we can use that to be able to to push forward a new generation of people who are ready to be leaders in, in evangelization. Just don't be afraid to start one on one. Or a group of two or three. Like, if you want to reach a hundred men in your parish, go reach two. That's right. You know, and just just do it in your living room. You don't need permission to have a prayer group in your living room, right? Yeah, that's yeah. right. So. You know, and and that's the other thing is just do it. Just go. There's there's nothing stopping us from if if we've encountered Christ and we are trying to grow with him in prayer, just go and evangelize. Go share your story with somebody. Go start a faith study group. Be in the habit and group. do it poorly. Exactly. Don't be afraid to fail. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Just, just go. I think too often 
we we hide behind the I need more training, I don't know enough, I need this, I need that, and we even hold people back with that. We said, well, you're not ready for this, so I don't want you to share your story. Just just go and share your story I with people. I was just talking about this with my third grader. He's struggling with math homework, you know, and he's he's so afraid of doing it poorly, he doesn't want to do it. Right. You know, I'm going to get the wrong answer. I can't figure out. I said, I said Zeke, the best way to get it done is to get it done. He's like, what are you talking about? And I said it like four <laughs> times and then put him to bed the next night. I said, Zeke, what's the best way to get it done? He's like, just to get it done. And I'm like, it's the <laughs> yes. same thing with evangelization. Go Absolutely. fail and do it poorly and uh, you will eventually make disciples because it's the Holy Spirit doing it. Well, Absolutely. I, you've got a flight to catch back to Canada. We are so glad that you uh, spent some time with us in St. Louis um, for the workshop and also uh, chatting about mission and evangelization. I encourage you guys to check out Michael Hall's book, Intentional Accompaniment and Apprenticeship for a New Generation of Builders. And let's just close in a prayer uh, for those that we're, we're trying to reach, shall we? Through the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, thank you for the gift of faith. Thank you for the gift of the mission that you've called us to. We just pray for the lost, Lord. We pray for those uh, who are on our hearts that you've placed on our hearts. Continue to give us opportunities, Lord, to reach them, to be your witnesses, to go and make disciples of all nations. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Amen.